We're in a series right now entitled Life. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about several things. We've been talking about Jesus being the light of Christmas. And of course, Jesus turning on the light of Christmas for us in our lives. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he is God with us in our lives. And we can live life differently as a result. And this morning, we're talking about the word favor. The word favor and the word grace go hand in hand. So we could easily say here the grace of Christmas and how we're going to live that out. So I'm going to invite you today to answer a question. I'm going to build upon what we talked about last week. Last week I began with this question. God is with us, but am I with God? God is with us, Emmanuel, but the question is, Am I with God? And we left you with a question, and I hope you answered it correctly, as in, yes, God is with us, and yes, I am with God. I've received His free gift of salvation. I've received His grace by faith. Now, we get to start living that out, and it makes a difference in our life. And here's where it becomes exciting. So no longer are we just going through the motions of life. Another year passed. Now we can move forward with a sense of anticipation, knowing that God's grace makes a difference in my life, but also in the life of others around us. Luke chapter number one. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Luke one. Give you a little bit of background of the book of Luke is written by a man named, it's not very hard to guess, a man named Luke. And Luke was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was a man who came to know Christ as his Savior later on. And he became a follower and he traveled along with a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul actually wrote the majority of the New Testament. And Luke comes along as a scribe, but also as a man who's putting things together as history. And he not only wrote the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. And these are history books that gives us an understanding of what's taking place. And Luke himself was a Gentile man, and he was writing to Gentiles, or rather non-Jews. So he writes differently. And when he's writing here in this, in this book, he's writing a history to a man named Theophilus, which you find that in, in the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. And this history is not given as just, here are the facts. There's a purpose behind this book. And the underlying purpose behind this book is to show that Jesus is really who he says he is. And throughout this book, as it says in in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, the Son of Man. Now, Son of Man is kind of a confusing way to describe Jesus. But Jesus, throughout this book, describes himself as the Son of Man. As it says in that verse, came to seek and to save the lost. And we see that throughout this book. So Jesus is described as, and Son of Man kind of is a weird way of describing Jesus, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an old way of saying that he is 100% human, but he's also 100% God. And that right there is revolutionary. And if Jesus Christ really is God, which I believe with all my heart that he is, That changes and makes a difference in my life, but also it can make a difference in your life as well. Our passage today is found in Luke chapter number 1, verse number 28. 
And it says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is the angel Gabriel talking to Mary and sharing with her the good news that you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. To give you a little bit of background, Mary at this time is a teenage young lady. She is engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph at this time was a carpenter, and history would have told, tells us that he would have been underneath his father, and he would have preparing himself he would have been building himself a house getting everything together so when his father said it's time for you to go get your your bride then he would go and take mary as his wife and they become married but this time is in the planning stage they were not yet married and you can think all the hopes and the dreams and the desires that are going through mary's mind she's excited she's anticipating the future what's going to take place and along comes Gabriel that turns everything upside down. Let's read that passage in Luke chapter number 1. We're going to read verses 26 and, and on. It says this, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, and this is Gabriel talking. You know, you just put yourself in the mindset. You are a young, some of you, you're already, you're young teenage girls. And all the hopes and the dreams, you're going about your business. And all of a sudden, the angel comes and turns everything upside down and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And rightly so. Verse 29 says, but she was greatly troubled at the sayings. That's an understatement. Every time we see in the Bible that someone's confronted with an angel, there's fear there. And she, it says that she was greatly troubled. And she tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This angel Gabriel, I don't believe, and this is my opinion here, this isn't thus saith the Lord, but I don't think Gabriel was monotone when he was saying this. I don't think he came and said, greetings, O favored one. <sighs> the Lord's with you. Like, I think he was really excited. You see, from the very beginning of time, when God created the earth and created mankind and mankind sinned, he had a plan for the coming Savior. He knew exactly what he was going to be doing, and the angels anticipated what was taking place. And here Gabriel has the wonderful privilege of going out and sharing this news. So therefore, I don't think he was bored, and I don't think he was just... Here's the news. He would have been excited himself, and he's trying to share this with Mary. And we see from verse 31 through 33 that anytime, maybe you get excited and you have like running long sentences, and you, were, and you say and a lot. Well, in this passage here, Gabriel says and a whole lot. So you try to think, and I won't be as excited as Gabriel when I read this, but I want you to think about someone that's excited with anticipation. This is Gabriel talking. 
and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and they will call his name the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, I didn't read that correctly. I should have read it much more excited. But you think about this news that Mary is receiving here and all this information. She was going along in her happy business, going along, and all of a sudden, the angel comes and says, you are greatly favored. This morning, I have, I have a principle to share with you. Then we have three points. The principle is this. God invites me to receive the gift of grace. That word grace and the word favor go hand in hand together, which will define them in just a few moments' time. And if you think about in your own life, God has a wonderful gift of grace for you to receive. And he's not coming along saying, yes, I love you. I have a gift for you. There's a great sense of wonder and anticipation that you can receive today as well. Because every person here today can experience God's gift of grace in their life. I have three points this morning. The three points are favored received, favor requires, and favor results. And as we walk through these three points, I want you to think about how this can become for you personally. We can see it in Mary's life. But what about you? How can encountering Jesus Christ impact and change your life? Let's begin with that first point. Favor received. That is the grace of God. The scripture there says in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. What we're going to do for just a few moments, and I'm by no means a Greek scholar, but we're going to go back to the original where it talks about this in the Greek, and we're going to define some words. Because what I've discovered is with defining words, it helps us better understand. It starts off with the word greeting. That word greeting literally means rejoice, be glad. So you see here, this greeting given by Gabriel is not a Oh, hello. This is a rejoice. I have some really good news for you. And then he goes on and says, Oh, favored one. The word favor, a dictionary style definition of that is to grace. That is with special honor to make accepted, highly favored. That word to grace. If you go back and define the word grace, and the grace is a Bible word. And the, the word grace literally means God's favor upon the undeserving. I want you to say that one more time so you, you'll catch it. The word grace means God's favor upon the undeserving. It's not because Mary deserved this grace or you and I have earned it because of our good works. It's simply because God wants to give us his grace. And it goes on and it says, the Lord is with you. It's very similar to the phrase, God with us. So we can say rejoice because we have God's favor upon the undeserving. And we're not doing this by ourselves because but God is with us. The question I asked last week is, God is with us, but am I with God? Mary herself 
by some religions and some faiths esteem Mary very, very high. And they hold Mary in a position where it's beyond what Scripture actually defines and describes her as. We see Mary herself was a human. Mary herself was a, a person that needed a Savior just like you and I do. Mary would have needed to place her trust upon Jesus Christ as her Savior, just like you and I are required to place our trust upon Jesus Christ as our Savior. Some faiths have the understanding that Mary was sinless or that we can pray to Mary to get direct access to God through Mary. Or we hail and we, we, the people would say Mary's name to somehow gain favor with God. Other beliefs are the belief that Mary was forever a virgin. And, but we actually find in the book of Mark, chapter number 6, verse 3, it says Mary had sons and daughters. And it actually names the sons. Her sons' names were James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And then it doesn't name the sisters. And it just says, and the sisters. So Mary, all these things are going through her mind. She knows who she is. She knows that she is in need of a Savior. And she asks the question in verse number 34, which is a very, very common question that we can all ask ourselves. We're confronted with God's grace, and we ask the very legitimate question, how can this be? How can this be possible? And Mary here is thinking very logically, and she's thinking very humanly, just like you and I would think. We're confronted with God's grace and God's favor and the miraculous, and we're scratching our heads thinking, how can this be? Have you considered that same question? Have you been presented with God's grace in your life, and you're thinking to yourself, how can this possibly be that God, the creator of the universe, would even know who I am, let alone be my Savior? How can this be? How can God know me? How could He save me? Oftentimes when we're confronted with grace, it doesn't fill us with a great deal of pride. It fills us with humility. And we're often confronted and we're reminded of the things that we've done to separate us from God. Whenever you hear the word grace, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is the word amazing. And you think amazing grace. Well, are you familiar with the, the writer or the author of the song Amazing Grace? His name is John Newton. John Newton was born in 1725 in England. He was born almost 300 years ago. And as a young boy, he, he lost his mother as a young child and began to travel with his father, ended up working his way through and through a course of a number of things. And he was very, very far from God for many years. He became a captain of, of a ship and his father was a captain of a ship and he became a captain of a ship and he ended up becoming a slave ship captain for a number of years, transported slaves from Africa to England and to, the, to America. Later on, he came to know Christ as his Savior. And when he was confronted with the truth, it took him a while. It wasn't just a tr transformation overnight. God was working on his heart and his life. And later on, after he came to know Christ as his Savior, 
reflecting upon the hurt that he, he caused others and the debauchery of his own life and his own existence, he wrote the words, Amazing Grace. The first verse says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And maybe that's the position you find yourself in. You're confronted with the wonderful grace of God and you're saying, how can this be? How can this possibly be? Let me ask you two questions. The first question is, first of all, are you aware of God's grace? Maybe this is a new thing for you. Maybe you, you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, God's favor upon the undeserving. What does that mean? This is a whole thought and, th- and terminology that I'm unfamiliar with. And I would encourage you, let, let's talk some more and pay attention today to this message because it will help you understand God's favor for you. But maybe you're on the other side and you've known Christ as your Savior for a long period of time and the words of grace and mercy and hope and joy and peace roll off our tongue and it becomes less tangible because we become used to it. Let me encourage you just to stop and think, are you aware of God's grace? The second question is this. Are you aware that you need God's grace? There's one thing being aware, say, okay, I know that grace exists. I can give you the dictionary definition, tick the box. But what about when you make it personal? Are you aware that you as an individual need God's grace? And if not, today can be that day. We need to turn that around for those of us who have known Christ as our Savior for a period of time and say daily I need to be living in this grace, living differently because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Our first point, favor received, is God's gift of grace. Our second point this morning is favor requires. Favor requires submission to God. Mary responded to the angel Gabriel after hearing the news of her being the mother of the Savior, responded and says in verse number 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was submitting herself to the things of God. I'm going to use a little bit of a strong analogy here. But God in no way was going to force himself upon Mary. Mary had every ability to say, No, God, I don't want your favor. I don't want to be the mother of the Savior of the world. I want to continue my life in the way that I planned it and the way that I've hoped in my hopes and my dreams and the way that Joseph and I are going to live our lives. She had every ability to do that. But favor or God's grace always requires submission, submitting to God and his plan for our lives. You see, what was happening with Mary hadn't already happened. As the angel describes what was taking place, he's talking in future tense. In verse 35, it says, And the angel answered her, this is all future tense, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be called holy, the Son of God. All this is future tense. 
So therefore, Mary had the ability to say, no, God, I don't want your grace. And you have exactly the same ability. You have the ability to say, God, I can understand your grace. I can define your grace, but no, thank you. I don't want it. God will not force his grace upon you. But God also comes into our lives and helps us understand that not only can he do this in our lives, but we can find encouragement when we see God's grace working in other people's lives. And sometimes when we look at God's grace, we think in, in humility, think, there's no way that God could ever save me. There's no way that God could ever pay the price for my sinfulness and the things that I've done. And you begin to rehearse in your mind all the things that you've done in your life that you are most embarrassed about. You hope no one else finds out about. God already knows. And you begin to bring them into your heart, into your mind, and think there's no way that God could ever love me. I could. So let's turn that around a little bit. Maybe God can love someone else that can be an encouragement to you. And God can begin to work in someone else's heart and someone else's life. And that's what God did with Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. In the very beginning of Luke chapter number 1, verses 5 through 25, we have the account of the angel Gabriel coming to another family member of Mary, a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were elderly. Although Mary was a teenager, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were elderly and they'd never had children. In fact, the scripture describes her as barren. So she's physically unable to have children. And miraculously, God uses it as a sign of encouragement for Mary, but also in preparation for the coming Messiah. They are blessed with a child after so many years of being unable to have children. And you think about hearing this news. You just heard the news. Greetings, O favored one. That's just totally transformed your life. And then the angel comes along and says, let me give you some encouragement. God's not only working in your life, but he's also working in other people's lives as well. Let me tell you about your cousin Elizabeth. And Mary goes and hears the news and says in verse number 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age. Now, notice I didn't call her old. The Bible calls her old has also conceived a son and is in her sixth month her who was called barren. Mary later on goes down and visits her cousin Elizabeth. And when she does, some wonderful things happen. It says in verse number 44 of that passage, For behold, this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greetings came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and that child inside of Elizabeth became and we know him as John the Baptist. He was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was prophesied in the Old Testament as a man who was going to come and be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, or go before and to announce the Messiah is coming. All this took place. So let me ask you the question, this, this question. What is God doing in your life? Is he calling you to grace? Is he calling you to now no longer live the old way or no longer live in the seemingly mundane way of Christian life where we just go through the motions and say, okay, one day in heaven we'll celebrate, but in today we'll just continue living. That's not what we're called to live. We're called to live differently. So what's God doing in your life to draw you closer to his wonderful favor today? Now a second question. 
What is God doing in other people's lives that can be an encouragement to your faith? You may be empty and dry right now, thinking to yourself, I need support and help. Why don't you look around some other Christians? What God doing in other people's lives that could be an encouragement to your life? That's what happened with Mary. She received some news, but then also heard the news that what God was doing in someone else's life that became an encouragement for her. Going back to that man, John Newton, which we referred to earlier, the author and the writer of Amazing Grace. He's quoted as saying this, and this is a a condensed version of a much longer paragraph. And John Newton, understanding what God's grace had done in his life, said this, I am not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. Thank God for that. That you are not the person you used to be. And what God's doing in your life is not just for your own encouragement, but also can be used to bless and encourage other people also. We have a tendency in our life to have an ought-to mentality of, I know all the things I ought to do or I would like to do one day. I think we suffer in, a, in, a, in our world a disease called someday-itis, where we delay what we're supposed to say to and respond to today by saying, someday I will do that. Well, someday is today. And I have a really, really silly dad joke for you. It's on, it'll be on the screen for you in a second. And this is a silly dad joke, but it's okay if I say it's a, it's a silly joke because I, I preface it by saying it's a dad joke. This man is writing, he's writing on the computer and he says this, I'm writing all about the things I ought to do before I die. It is my ought to biography. Okay. Thank you. I was pausing for effect and you just erupted in, 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 in laughter. Because all the times that's how we live. We live like I ought to do this. I know I'm not doing it, but I ought to. And we somehow justify ourselves by saying, well, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, what are you actually doing? Are you responding to to God's wonderful gift? Our principle, again, is God invites me to receive the gift of grace. We have a wonderful invitation from God. And I'd be remiss to talk about the wonderful grace of God without talking about how you can, as individuals, receive that gift of grace in your own life. And I have three steps to grace that we're going to walk through this morning. And for those of you who know Christ as your Savior, I hope this is an encouragement for you. And those of you, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I pray that this will be something that you can do for yourself and you can play and pray and work in this between you and God. First of all, the first step is admit that I'm a sinner. You're never going to seek a solution unless you admit that you have a problem. And the scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have a condition, and it's called being a sinner. And we don't carry that around as a, as a mark of pride, but we understand of who we are. And any time that you hear that you have done something wrong, or you're in need of a Savior, like going to the doctor, 
If you go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you with a, a horrible condition and you hear that news and your stomach drops and you, you begin to have that cold sweat and you hear the news you have, and I'll use cancer as an example. You hear that and things begin to slow down and you, all the thoughts come through your mind of what am I going to do? And you're really only waiting for the next sentence from the doctor. For the doctor to say, but there is a cure. That's what you want to hear. Anytime you're diagnosed with anything from the doctor, you want to hear there is a cure. If the Bible finished with this passage, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, full stop. We would be hopeless and we would have no hope for the future. But thank God that we don't just have to admit that we're a sinner. The scripture continues on and gives us the cure for our sinfulness. The second part is this. The second step to grace is believe. The believe that Jesus died and rose again and is alive. Another way of saying that is believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and he did what he said he was going to do. In the scripture in Romans chapter number 10 verse 9, the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you Believe that Jesus Christ really is God and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and believe not only that Jesus is God, but also believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, that his death, his burial and resurrection. The last line of that is wonderful. and I've underlined it on the screen for you. It says a definitive statement. It doesn't say you might be or you could be or you really cross your fingers and hope to be it says you will be saved and the wonderful thing there is we admit that we have a problem we admit that we're sinners we believe that jesus christ is who he says he is and the third part of that is now the acceptance of that to accept by faith god's free gift of salvation god will not force himself upon you god has a wonderful gift that's bought it's paid for, it's been delivered, and it's waiting for you to accept it for yourself. And every day, as those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we're not going back and saying, God, will you please re-save me again every time we do something wrong. It's the opposite of that. Now we're looking back upon it and saying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your wonderful gift of grace in my life. So we're looking back. But maybe you're on the other side. And you're looking where you do not know God's grace in your life. You've yet to place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. And you're looking forward to that. Well, that gift is bought, paid for and it's waiting for you to receive. There's no magical words that you say. There's no magical prayer. But what we do find is that it's important to express this. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth. Now, the prayer doesn't save you, but it is the belief in your heart that does the saving. But I do believe that a prayer and verbalizing your, your desire before God is really important and helpful in our, in our salvation. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So where you're seated today... May I encourage you, spend some time in prayer for every single person. Either you're thanking God, say, God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're saying, God, I need your salvation. Will you please give me your free gift of salvation? I know I'm a sinner. 
I, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead for my sins. And I, will you please give me your free gift of salvation? Now, I've gone through that quickly. But at the end of the service, if you'd like to, I'd love to open up the Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can know for sure. Because the, the Bible says, and the scripture says in 1 John, it says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. We have a wonderful privilege that leads to some anticipation. And as we anticipate what God has done in our hearts, in our lives, we have something to look forward to beyond just the immediate. And that's exactly what happened with Mary. Mary hears this good news. Mary, oh favored one, I'm going to do some great things in your life. And now she has the anticipation of moving forward and the results. And our third point this morning is the results. Favor results. That's a change for God. God begins to work in your heart and in your life and making a change. At this particular period of time, as Mary is being confronted by this angel, no one else on earth knew what was taking place in her life. She was the only one. There was all the uncertainty of the future. She had no idea how she was going to tell Joseph. How am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to talk to others when I go in, into the marketplace and walk around with my friends? What are they going to say? What are they going to think of me? No one else in my family, no one else in history has been ever given the news that Mary has been given. But now she's moving forward with anticipation and joy. In that passage, I'm not going to read but, but this all, but from 46 through 55 is a song of praise written by Mary. And this song of praise by Mary, it shows her heart and the way that her attitude was. And it says in verse number 47, it talks about the joy that she has. Verse 47 says, Rejoice in God my Savior. Notice what she was rejoicing in. She wasn't rejoicing in her circumstances. She wasn't rejoicing in the fact that she didn't know the future. She was rejoicing in the only thing that she could rejoice in. God was her Savior. So she had joy in her newfound position. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we are given the command. And it's a command that all of us need to live out. And maybe as you're driving home today and someone cuts you off in front of you in, in the car, you will have an opportunity to live this out. The scripture says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So therefore, rather than saying something bad or embarrassing to, to the person that cut you off in the car, you could just say, rejoice! Because <laughs> it says there, you will say, rejoice! Because we have a wonderful new position. We're no longer living the old way any longer because we have the grace of God. And we have a change of perspective. In verse 49 and 55, the scripture says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Can you relate to that? For he who is mighty has done great things for me and has spoke to our father and to Abraham and to his offspring. And the last line, the last word of that, that, uh, that verse is the word forever. We have a change of perspective. Oftentimes, we think naturally short term. When you're a teenager, particularly a teenage boy, you are thinking my next meal. What is going to be my next meal? I'm starving to death right now. And Michael, hurry up. 
well, our perspective begins to change. When we understand the grace of God in our life, we no longer look short term. Now we're thinking big picture. Yes, there's issues and problems and, and difficulties in the short term, but it doesn't bother us because now we're thinking long term. We're thinking eternity. And now we are eternity minded rather than short term minded. So the question of the day is this. Will you live in God's grace? Whether you need to accept that grace for the first time today, you can do that even where you're seated right now. Or you already know Christ is your Savior, and now you need to look back and say, thank you, God, for your grace. I'm going to live differently as a result. Will you live in God's grace today?